Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, May 8th, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. But eventually we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Hebrews chapter 6. This morning, I want to read... Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 13 to 20. We're going to be thinking about the promise of God and what that causes in our lives, which is great hope um, this morning. So let me read those verses, then we will pray, and then, let's be, then we'll begin. So Hebrews six thirteen, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Let me just say something real quickly here that's not in my sermon, but just lack lack of time. But the only, only other time in the Scriptures where this phrase is used where it says, Surely I will bless you and multiply you, that Hebrew construction Surely I will bless you. The only other time it's used was when God says to Adam and Eve, If in the day you eat of this fruit, surely you will die. And so this is exactly what we see with the curse, but for the blessings of this world. And so keep that in mind, because I won't mention that in my sermon. But surely I will bless you and multiply you. In verse 15. Thus Abraham having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest, forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we give thanks. We praise your name for you are good. No matter how we are feeling, no matter what is going on in our lives, you are on your throne and you are sovereign. And we are here this morning and we read these words. Father, these words are for us. Pray that you would use them. Father, in spite of me, in spite of my feelings, my thoughts, and what is going on, I pray, Father, that you would use these words, Father, as your word is living and active, like a two-edged sword. I pray that Jesus would, would be uplifted. I pray that he would increase, that I would decrease, that we would decrease. I pray that you would be honored this morning in the preaching of your word and that 
your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts or encourage our hearts, exhort us to greater faith in Christ. If someone is here and they're not a Christian father, may they, as the text says, flee to refuge in the gospel of Christ. We just pray that you would just generally help us and give us grace this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today's sermon is about the promise of God. In fact, if we could sum up this letter to the Hebrews, it would be this. God has promised, and God has fulfilled His promise in Christ. And as a pastor, I think as we look at this as a pastor and I see these words, the author is very practical in everything he does. He desires that the Word of God, and in this context today particularly, hope in the promise of God, to give us encouragement in whatever we're going through in life so that we may hold fast, keep going, continue trusting by faith, keep relying until the very end. Look at verses 11 and 12 as a transition. Here's what the author desires. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness To have the full assurance of hope until the end. That is what I desire as a pastor for you and for myself. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators. Today we're going to imitate Abraham. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So here... In these verses, the author urges them to to see the Old Testament saints and see them as an example, those who've gone before, and to imitate them in the same way we are to to do the same today. So with this in mind, I have three truths, three parts to this sermon. One, when we consider the promise of God, one, I'd like for us to consider the nature of, of God's promise. What is it? What is his promise? What is the nature of his promise? Second, number 2, let's think about just the fulfillment of God's promise. And then finally 3, what are the results? And so first two, very little application, but the last one will be very applicable for us today. So let's begin. First part, first truth. Let's notice the nature of God's promise in this text. Here we see God's promise to Abraham. And the author's point is that the promise of God is sure. We must have no doubt that God will bring about all of His promises today. When we read this book, there should be no doubt that when we read the promise of God starting in Genesis 3.15, to save, to send a deliverer, to send the Messiah who would come one day, And then all of God's promises, whatever they are in the Bible, we should have no doubt as believers. And that is what the author is trying to tell those Hebrew Christians. So why should we not doubt? Well, it's because God does not lie. And He is immutable. He cannot change. Look back at verses 13 and 14. For when God made a promise to Abraham since he had no one greater by whom to swear. He swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. 
And therefore, Abraham, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, notice what He wants to show them. The unchangeable character of His purpose. This is the nature of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Here we see God making a promise to Abraham, and then He confirms this promise with an oath. Now this is very interesting to think that God would make an oath. Because God cannot lie. He doesn't need to make an oath. Because He always tells the truth. He always does what He says. He cannot do anything else. And it isn't that He merely chooses not to lie. He cannot do it because His nature is unchangeable. He is immutable. So it's like thinking some common phrases. Can a leopard change his spots? No. I forget what movie we were watching. I think we watched Free Willy by all, all movies this past week. The guy says in there, does a dog go on a brick wall? That was my favorite one from the week. Dog does what he's going to do. Does a bear go in the woods? Yes. Or, you know, when I look at my body and I think, man, I was talking to someone just this week and they're in their 80s. And he's like, yeah, I'm get, getting a little bit older, trying to keep it moving but can we stop the aging process? We cannot. Can we stop the tides from coming in and out? We cannot stop them. And so, in the same way, God cannot change. And so we cannot nullify or take away what God has said and what He has promised. Now, sometimes we make promises. <clears throat> and when we do, we do the same thing. We often try to convince those with whom we are making a promise that we will surely do what we will say. By We make an oath. We say things like, have you ever heard, I swear on my mother's grave. Is that an old one? Maybe. Maybe we don't say that anymore. I don't know what young folks say today. But have you ever heard, well, I swear on a stack of Bibles that I am telling you the truth. You know, sometimes when, if you watch... The, old movies and things, they would, they would cut their finger and seal their, their promises with blood or something like that. When we go into the court of law today, I don't, I don't even know, correct me if I'm wrong, do, they may have the option now, but it, throughout history we didn't have the option. When you came into the court, what did you do? Put your hand on what? The Bible. And you said, do you swallow, solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? Yes, I swear. There's the oath that we do. Because what we're doing is we're swearing upon something that is unchangeable in our mind. Something that has so much value that we could never think to alter whatever we are and however we're making this oath. You see, what we do in these cases is to promise something and then confirm our promise by swearing upon something that has in, in, our, in our estimation, 
immeasurable value, like your, your mother's grave or a stack of Bibles. They're saying not just one Bible, but a stack of Bibles because the Bible is the Word of God, and that's the way we do O's. In the same kind of way, though, in this text today, God, what He does is He enters the courtroom of heaven. The courtroom of heaven and earth, and when He promises and makes an oath, He is saying, this is what God is saying when He makes a promise. He says, I am. I am supreme. I am all-glorious. I am holy. I am the maker of heaven and earth. I am the sustainer of heaven and earth. And no one can value my worth. We cannot value His worth. It is infinite. Therefore, God says, I swear upon myself. Because there is no one greater to make to make such a promise or to make an oath on than by himself. Brothers and sisters, there is no one, there is nothing in both heaven and earth who has more value than God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is good. He is all-powerful. He is all-encompassing. He is life. He is everlasting light. I could go on and on and on, but God cannot and He will not change because there is none like Him. He is the Lord. So let me ask you this. Can you imagine doubting such a God? Do we ever doubt such a God? Yes, we do. That's why this text is for us. Today, in hearing these words, we should say, I will not doubt what God says to me in His promise. This is why God says to Israel of Isaiah's time, as they doubted His promise, He says in Isaiah 50, chapter chapter 50, verse 2, Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? In all of Israel's rebellion and idolatry through the years, why does God not completely cast them away? Because He'd made a promise going way back. And He does not change. He promises to Israel that He will keep them and He will save them. And then He says, these blessings, this promise I've made to you, it also will go out to all of the nations. Isaiah 48, 9. He says, for my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Brothers and sisters, we are sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we deserve death and hell and punishment for all eternity. So why does God save us? Out of His mercy, right from the beginning, He made a promise to save. Listen to the words from Isaiah 46, verses 8 to 11. God says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. So with this in mind, We must ask, why does the author, 
remind his readers. Well, look at verse 18 again. He says, So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God Himself does not need to make an oath. He does this for us. And so, with that in mind, that is the nature of God's promise. As true and as set as God is in Himself, in His nature, so are His words of promise to us. It is unchangeable. It is sure. We'll come back and apply that at the, at the very end, but that's truth number one. The nature of God's promise, unchangeable. Number two, let's move to the fulfillment of God's promise. And look at the specifics here with Abraham. Here he uses Abraham as our example. Look at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham. So what was this promise? What did God promise? Some of you may know this already, but look at, look at verse 14. Surely I will bless you and will multiply you. There's the promise. Now, this is, this is just a shortened version of, of, the, of all of the promise. Here we see that God will bless and God will multiply. Again, this is just a summary. But let's think back for a moment about Abraham and God's call on his life and God bringing this promise to him. On at least three occasions we see God make a promise to Abraham. So at least three times it's written down for us. God comes to this man Abraham and he makes this promise three times. And at least two times more, this makes five, but at least two times more, he comes back to Abraham and we see it confirmed over and over through the life of Abraham. And in essence, all of these promises really are the same. When God first called Abraham, you remember what he says? His name was Abram. This is before he changed his name. But he says, Abram, go to a land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So here we see three, really, three things about this promise. One, we see land. I'm going to give you a land. Two, offspring, lots of children. And then finally, universal blessing. Those who bless you also, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. But we see a universal blessing. Now, there are many today who only focus on these physical promises here. Land, offspring, and universal blessings. But here we must see that Abraham... And the promises of Abraham are only a type, only a picture to which they point. So this land, these, this blessing, this multiplication, and this blessing, universal blessing that will come his way, they are, let's keep that in our mind as I go through this, they are pointing to something bigger, something much bigger. Now, yes, they are blessings in and of themselves in that day, but they extend only to this earth, to this life. But in Christ, the message and the blessings of God go beyond these blessings to their ultimate fulfillment. 
And what is the ultimate fulfillment one day? The new heavens and the new earth. We are waiting on that. Now, let's think about Abraham a little bit more, though, in, these, in this promise. Abraham was about, does anybody know how old he was when he received this call? He was about around, we think, 70 years old when he received God's call and this promise. And so what he did, he left that land, down in the land of Ur, down there, and he took off north, I guess northwest, up towards Canaan. And there, what did he do? He waited patiently for God to do some things, to, to fulfill his promise. And he waited there for more than 20 years, about 25 years. And so he was 70 years old, and he continued to wait. And his wife, you remember his wife's name? Sarah. It was Sarai. Her name, her name was also changed. He from Abram to Abraham, and hers from Sarai to Sarah. And so there they are. So after 20 years, Sarah is almost 100 years old, and so is Abraham. Guess what? No children. No children at all. <laughs> and so it comes to the point to where Sarah is beyond the age of childbearing. Can you imagine ladies having a child at 100 years old? Well, anyway, she's there, and she cannot have children. And so Abraham... And Sarah, I imagine thinking, hey, wait a second. God's made a promise, and now we can't have children. But God has said, Sarah, Abraham, you will have a son with Sarah. And then, so what does Abraham do? Abraham decides to take things into his own hands. Sarah gives him his maid servant there. And, they, and Abraham has a child, not with Sarah. He has a child. His name is Ishmael. Problem is, God has already said Ishmael is not the one of the promise. There will be another son. Well, still no children. And so that brings us, if you think about these first 25 years after Abraham's call, look back at verse 15. What did Abraham do? Abraham having what? Patiently waited to obtain the promise. <laughs> now, we, we know that there, in that time, finally Sarah has a child. It's a miraculous child. In fact, the angel tells Abraham that he's, Sarah's going to have a child. Sarah hears it, and Sarah, what does she do? She laughs. We would laugh. We would laugh greatly. But God says, no, it is true. You will have a child. And so what does she do? She miraculously has this child with Abraham, and his name is is Isaac. And so he waited all these years, and then he obtained promise. Now, there are many commentators who believe that this promise in Hebrews 6 here refers to Isaac. After all, didn't he wait patiently for 25 years before he had this son? And 25 years is a long time to wait. Now, I would say... Now, I'm not sure if I am right or wrong on this. I think it is certainly true that, that this promised son he waited 25 years patiently for, and this was part of God's fulfillment. I have no problem with that, and I believe that is true. Isaac was key. If this son did not come, we would not have the, the line of the Messiah. 
So Isaac was key to God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And Abraham did receive that part of this promise. But I do not think the author of Hebrews here is limiting God's promise to Isaac only. You see, our author is quoting Genesis twenty-two seventeen, which was given after the birth of Isaac. So you see, there was so much more to the promise given to Abraham than just this son Isaac. You see, there was the, if we remember back, there was the what? The land, the descendants, and the universal blessings. Look at Hebrews 11, if you would, turn over a few pages. Hebrews 11, verses 13. Very interesting. This is right in the middle of the big hall of faith. When the author gives all of these faithful deeds of all these men and women... And they lived all this time back in the Old Testament. Here's what he says, right in the context of Abraham as well. Chapter 11, verse 13. He says, these, including Abraham, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Brothers and sisters, ultimately our, our promise is still, it is fulfilled in Christ and we'll get to that. But it is still the new heavens and the new earth when the Lord Jesus comes back one day. But let me ask some questions about Abraham. Was God's promise fulfilled in Abraham's lifetime? I, I think, well, Jeremiah says no. Were there some things that were fulfilled in his lifetime? Isaac? Yes. Some things were fulfilled. Second question. Was God's promise fulfilled in Christ 2,000 years later? Absolutely. Will his promise finally be fulfilled in the future? Well, sin has not been completely taken care of yet, so of course... And so I would say, when I ask the question, was God's promise fulfilled in Abraham's time? Was it fulfilled in Christ 2,000 years ago? And will it be fulfilled in the future? Yes. Now, of course, it all hinges upon Christ, for sure. Because all of God's promises are, yes, in Christ. I believe God fulfills His promises in installments. With Abraham, it was Isaac. Some, of the, some land there in Canaan, he got. Some descendants... Some blessings. I think when he, was, he lived about 15 years, I think after, um, after Isaac was born, I mean, excuse me, Isaac's kids were born, and so the, he lived for some time. So he received many of those, those blessings. And then when we move forward in the Old Testament, we get to the people of Israel. There are places that say Israel got all the land. After the conquest of Joshua, they got all the land. God, it even says, God has not, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically it says God fulfilled His promise. Here's the land. So they got the land. And then, great descendants. Israel has become a great nation. Today, what is happening? Who are we? How are we connected to Israel in that way? The Bible says we are the offspring 
of who? Abraham. We are the sons of Abraham. Jesus speaks about that often with the Pharisees. You are, those who have faith are the children of Abraham. And so these promises are going where? From Abraham to Israel. Now they're going to the ends of the earth as we do what? What do we do? Why, Josiah, when you come over here and talk about fusion, I mean, I know we're talking about making disciples, making disciples, but what do disciples do? What was Jesus' last command to his disciples? Go, therefore, and make disciples of who? The nations, the nations of the earth. Today, the gospel is going to the nations. So when we talk about the fulfillment of God's promise, it comes. I think the same thing with prophecy. Oftentimes we see it happen in the Old Testament, boom, and you see it clearly. And then you go to the New Testament, and the authors there say that that prophecy is fulfilled in Christ in some way there or in the preaching of the gospel in their time. But today, we still wait as Abraham for a city whose builder and maker is God. We still wait even as fallen creation. What does creation do today? Romans 8 says it, well, it does what? It groans. Waiting for what? For the redemption of our bodies. We still wait. And so these words, brothers and sisters, we live in the same time period with these Hebrew Christians. Because this is after the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. We live in the same time and so these promises, as he is writing them to the Hebrews here, he's writing them to us today. We go through the same, I promise you, if you go back and look at Abraham's after the first 25 years, and then you wait another 75 years before he died, the Bible says he saw, the, the, he saw Christ by faith ahead. And he looked to a city whose maker is God. And if we, you were to look at his life, do you think his life was easy for 75 years after the, the, those promises were made? No. He went through very much the same things that we go through today. Sickness, death of loved ones, discouragement, doubting sometimes, promises of God. All kinds of things. That's why in Hebrews you keep reading over and over and I keep saying, and he's saying some of you are drifting away, but don't do it. Some of you are in danger of going back to the old system. Don't do it. Go forward. Go forward. This is encouragement because why? The nature of God's promise. God cannot lie and He will do what He has said. And He will save His people. This is our example. As we wait for the promise of God to be completely fulfilled. And if everything was fulfilled in Christ's first coming, then why would He urge them and us now to continue in this life with patience. Look back at chapter 4 of Hebrews 9 and 10. I know I've already preached on that, but so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I know that's, there's a lot in that verse. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, let me try and bring this together with truth number three as we try to apply this for us this morning. 
We've seen the nature of God's promise, and then we've just kind of looked at, I've made some comments on this fulfillment of God's promise. Number three, though, let's think about the result of God's promise for us. For us, what is the result? I'm just thinking practically. With these truths before us today, how should we live in this world? What should be our frame? How should we think? How should we feel? Well, what does the text tell us? Well, the text tells us we live, we live this life with hope. H-O-P-E. And what kind of hope is it? How did Abraham wait? As he looked forward? He, he died not receiving the promises, at least the completion of them all, but how did he wait? Patiently. So we should wait patiently. Look again at the second part of verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. There's the result. We might have strong encouragement to do what? To hold fast to the hope that is set before us. So after rebuking them sharply, in, in Hebrews here, telling them to move on to maturity, then giving them the great warning of apostasy. What he does as a good pastor here is he brings chapter 6, which next week we'll be moving into Melchizedek. But at the end of first chapter 6, he reminds them of this great promise. Go back to verse 11 of chapter 6. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of what? Hope. Till the end. Look at verse 18. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the what? Hope set before us. Look at verse 19. We have a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So just as Abraham waited patiently for the promise, we must do the same. This promise, let me just go ahead and preface this. This promise today is for Christians. It's not for non-Christians. Non-Christians don't have the promise. This is for Christians. Think about, think about <clears throat> all of these things I've said this morning and how do we apply them. Just as Abraham waited for the promise, we must do the same. Now, I think about my own life. Many of you have heard my testimony. I'm not going to give my testimony, but I was, I was, many of you know, after two years of, of college and I was playing baseball at, at Appalachian State and was there, had grown up, made a profession of faith all those years, had been baptized. People would come to me and they would say, John, are you a Christian? And I would say, yes, I've been baptized. I've, I've gone to church most of my life. And but if you were, when I were to leave there, those folks to talk to me, and I'd go back to my room and I'd sit by myself, and I'd look at my own life, I was doing lots of things I should not have done. Was I reading my Bible regularly? No. Was I praying regularly? No. Did I like to be around God's people and go and gather with them? Was that my normal thing? That, and not just what I did, but what, what was it from my heart? No. And so I knew I knew I was not a believer. I knew it. 
I was just saying it with my mouth and do what my parents said was the right thing to do and what the church was saying the right thing to do. And all I can say is the mercy of God, <laughs> the promise that came from Abraham down to and was fulfilled in Christ. The text says, those who have fled for refuge. At one point, I realized I was a sinner and that everything I've been living was a lie. Now, I would have never said I didn't believe. Never. I always believed. And I would always say, do you believe that you're a Christian? Yeah. But as we know, God gets to the heart. And I always try to preach to the heart. And so at that particular time, I realized that I was a sinner before God. And that God had sent His Son to die on the cross for God so loved the world. And He gave Him that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So it's very simple. At the end of the day, as I started to read the Bible and think about such things. And all I can say is the mercy of God and the Holy Spirit coming in and regenerating me and calling me. And I was converted. And I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've had ups and downs. And I'm not so sure how patient I have waited, even in this life, as God's promise moves, looks forward. I trusted in Christ. And I believe that He died for my sins in that day. And I still believe it today. Because I... I fled to the refuge because Christ is my refuge. And I did that. Now, let me, let me move on. I, I wanted to bring that up because I don't want to presume that everybody that sits here all the time who names the name of Christ, especially younger folks, who this is what you do, this is all you ever know. Sometimes, young folks, we don't know what our faith is until we get older and we start getting tested and the world starts bringing everything our way. And so I, want to, I wanted to say that. But here we see, let's move on from that, that particular comment, but here we see the picture of an anchor. Let me ask, what does an anchor do? Well, you drop it down, goes down, and the ship might pull it along for a little while until it grabs onto some, something that's on in the earth below the ocean, and it hits, and it grabs, and then it cannot be moved, and it just pulls there and it stops. So that the ship will not drift off and hit something and be destroyed or run up, run up to a reef or something in a storm and they can't see and it stays right there. An anchor lies unseen at the bottom of the sea. In the same way, our anchor lies anchored. We can't see that. We don't see a physical anchor. But it lies anchored where? In heaven. In the highest of heaven. Even That is... One of the keys to the book of Hebrews, right from the beginning, after making purification for our sins, he sat down, the right hand, the majesty on high. This is what he did. And so our anchor is there. It's not here. Brothers and sisters, we can, if, I think if you're thinking about an anchor, it's all, there's never the best picture illustration, but we could probably go down, put on a wetsuit, some breathing apparatus and take the right tools down to the anchor and we could probably dislodge it, couldn't we? We could cut it. We could do something to it. But when we think about our anchor who is lodged, fixed in heaven, do you think we can do anything to dislodge him? God cannot lie. His promise, his nature, he has done what he has said. We cannot dislodge Christ from heaven and this is where our hope lies. It is secure this morning. No one can remove Christ from there. 
God has fulfilled His promise in Christ. And we can certainly say, I think that Christ is our anchor. I think the subject is certainly hope, but we can't say our anchor is just hope because it's anchored in Christ, of course. So, let me end with just some comments by way of application. And let's think for a moment about hope. And let's think about it compared to faith and love. Do you, do you recall 1 Corinthians 13? The very end of that chapter, what does he say? Paul say about these. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, the greatest of these is love. It's interesting that he mentions those three things. Faith, hope, and love. Now, the reason love remains is because one day there will be no need for faith or hope, right? We get there and we see him as he is. No need for hope. Got it. No need for, that's why our hope is anchored in heaven. No need for faith because we'll see him as he is. But love remains, okay? We know that. Faith and hope, though, are for us today. Faith and hope. These are precious gifts. I think often about God just creating, just creating faith. Is that which connects us to Him. We look to Him in faith. And I think He just creates hope. Here's hope. And it's a gift. And it's fastened to His promises. Faith. If you think about faith, faith looks to who? Well, generally looks to God. And we, as Christians, God who took on flesh, Jesus Christ, we could say faith in Christ. But the object of our faith is in a person. It's not in the promises, is it? Faith looks to the person, looks to God, looks to Christ. But when we think about hope, what is hope fixed to? Well, hope... (laughs) is fixed on God's promise to save. And in fact, all of His promises to us in the Bible as we live in this world. Do you see the difference? Faith says, I know whom I believed. And I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what He's entrusted to me. That's what faith does. It says, I know whom I believed. The God who cannot change. But hope is fixed upon God's promises. Hope looks through all the Bible and says <laughs> and sees all of God's promises. And in the midst of life's difficulties, this is what hope says. <laughs> I can go on. As difficult as this trial is, I can go on. I can wait. I can have patience because God does not lie. God does not change. And He will fulfill all of His promises to me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8-11 says this, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. It's interesting in in these verses, we see faith and love here in 1 Thessalonians as well. And then he says, and for a helmet of hope, the helmet of salvation. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live, <clears throat> live with Him. Therefore, I'm almost finished here, encourage one another with such words. And build one another up, just as you are doing. You see, this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, when the sharp blows of life, the sharp blows of the world come firing at you, when sickness or weakness or discouragement... I, I, I'll just, I've, I've been honest with you guys through the past weeks. I've, I've been more discouraged than I've probably ever been in my life over the past m months, for sure. And so I wonder, how can I just keep going? And honestly, many times, I don't... This is from one perspective. I don't feel like that the sermon is any good or that I could even get up here and preach. But I do it. On the other hand, I've never gotten up here and not loved what I preach. And I love this today. But when sickness or weakness or discouragement or even doubt comes your way, even as we've been talking about assurance and doubt the last three or four weeks, but when all these things come at you in huge waves, you have the helmet of hope on your head so that nothing can pierce you. It protects you. So hope values the things promised and looks forward to the day of realization, no matter how long it takes. All the Old Testament saints died. Many Christians of the New Covenant have already died as well and gone before us. We are still here, but these words are for us today just as they were for the Hebrew Christians in that day. We have a hope that's anchored in heaven where Christ sits. Now, there are many today that pretend to have hope who have no real faith. And there are many today who, have, who make a profession of faith, but they have no real hope. But real faith and real hope go together. A.W. Pink says this, A spiritual faith eyes the promiser. There's faith. The eyes God, the one who makes the promise. And it is assured that he cannot lie. Now he says about hope, A spiritual hope embraces the promises esteems them above all silver and gold and confidently anticipates their fulfillment. So brothers and sisters, if this is the case in your life, you will have great comfort and great joy that will take you all the way to heaven. So today, Christian, take great comfort in this, that your hope, even as these last verses tell us, verse 20, your hope has gone beyond the veil of the curtain of the standing temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D. Because it is seated, it is, Christ is seated in the heavenly places. He's begone, gone beyond the veil. It's fixed in heaven. So your assurance and your confidence is founded upon the unchanging nature of God who fulfills all of His promises. And you can go through this life with great patience as you wait. So let me ask, can there be anything more stable for our soul than these truths today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. 
Thank you that our hope is fastened to Christ, who sits in the heavenly places. And your word says, for the Christian now, we are seated with him in the heavenly places already. But yet, we still wait for the ultimate fulfillment of this promise as the new heaven and the new earth earth will come one day. And so with this in mind, Lord, help us as Christians. Father, to to wait patiently. Father, may these words bring us great comfort. Father, as we hope in your promises, may we take hold of the promise of Abraham. We could take all the promises in all of your covenants, too, in the Old, Old Testament. We could take them all. And they point to the same fulfillment that is in Christ. Father, help us to hold on to these promises, to look to you by faith and to hold on to these promises with great hope and patience. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.